You know, I wonder what you would think if I came up this morning and said, whew, I'm glad I made it. I didn't know if I was going to make it this morning. I spent the weekend in jail. Some of you would think, well, pastor, I'm not one to judge, but what were you in for? You'd be wondering, wouldn't you, if I came in and said, gosh, you guys, I thought I was going to have to pass my sermon notes to one of the other elders because I didn't know I was going to get out in time. I uh, spent the weekend in the can. You'd be thinking, I don't know if I should be listening to this guy teach me from the word of God and uh, him spending the weekend in jail. Is that a regular activity for you, Pastor Zach? Do you find that uh, that happens often? Uh, The reason I say that is because this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And I got to tell you that uh, from the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning, the story starts with Paul, uh, who is an important missionary, an important church planner, an important evangelist, an important mind in the early Christian church. He's in jail. And probably uh, we would be wondering the same thing. If, if you're not familiar with the story, you may be thinking to yourself this morning, how is it that this man of God found himself in jail? So while you turn to Acts chapter 16, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version, the super fast version. So uh, Paul is walking around a city and there is a person there who's possessed by a demon. Now, not only is this young person possessed by a demon, but this person is also a slave. And, and the slave owner would also often uh, use this, this young slave to entertain the masses and make money off of, of the child because the child was possessed by a demon. Sometimes it was telling fortunes. And, and so this was a money-making arrangement for someone. And when Paul walks into the city and he sees this person possessed by a demon, he casts out the demon. And you can imagine that that wasn't something that the owner of the slave wanted. And so the owner caused this huge problem in the city and got Paul and his companions thrown into jail. So I want you to know this morning when we pick up the story and we begin to read that they were sitting in jail, uh, that it wasn't for unpaid parking tickets It wasn't because they robbed a store. Uh, They were in jail because they were doing the will of God. They were serving the Lord. Even when it cost them dearly, uh, they they were set on serving the Lord. Now this morning we're looking at the scripture because it asks and answers this question that we've been trying to get at. What must I do to be saved? Last week I gave you four words. I want to share them with you again. Four words that describe the question that you have on the screen this morning. What must I do to be saved? Before we look in Acts chapter 16, I tell you that this question is an important one. In fact, it's the most important question that you'll ever ask or answer in your entire life. It's a question that if you're young this morning, you need to immediately begin thinking about. This is a question that if you're old, I'll let you decide if you are or not, you need to immediately begin thinking about. Asking and answering this question is the most important thing you could ever do in your life. But I also said that this question was a natural question. Because if you come to the place in your life where you're cognizant and you understand that there is a God in heaven who intentionally, purposefully, and with precision created you, and you have an opportunity to know that God and to walk with that God and to have peace with that God through salvation, the natural question is, what do I have to do? Because I want that. 
The third word that we looked at last week, I share with you again briefly this morning, is that this question is a biblical question. In fact, we're looking in Acts 16 this morning where it is specifically asked and answered. And remember last week I told you that perhaps the most glorious of the four words is that it's answerable. You can come in this morning asking the question. And maybe not asking it verbally, but maybe it's bouncing around in your heart. Or maybe it's, it's in your mind and you're thinking to yourself the season of your life. What must I do to be saved? The question can be answered today. And so in Acts chapter 16, we're going to allow the word of God to show us the answer to this question. We're starting in verse 25. It says, now about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke up and he saw that the prison doors were opened, uh, he drew his sword, and he was about to take his life, supposing that all of the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer came and called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them in the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Father, our just simple yet bold prayer this morning is that Uh, We would spend the next moments together not simply learning more stuff about the Bible, but by the power of the Spirit of God, you would transform our lives. That we would walk out of these doors reflecting you better in our homes and to our friends and that the spiritual transformation would take place today, that we would be different than we walked in this morning. Oh Lord, help us to have the courage to yield to your spirit as it works in our life as we consider the word of God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your notes this morning, and if you're a guest, we love giving notes to people. Sometimes it helps them stay a little more focused. Uh, And so if you have your notes, you see that we're going to basically look at two sections. And the first section is for people who might be asking this question. So if you're a note taker this morning, if I am asking this question, I want to share with you four thoughts. And you may not, again, you may not be asking this question verbally, but it may be something that you've been thinking about. It may be something that you've been pondering. If, 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 if what do I have to do to be saved is an important question for you this morning because you've never asked or answered it, I want to share with you four thoughts. The first is ask that question to the right person. The reality is there's a lot of people in our lives that we enjoy being around. They may be fun. 
They may be entertaining. They may be humorous. We may work with them all of the time. We may live next to them, so we spend a lot of time out in our yards together. They may be somebody in our family. They may be somebody that holds a prominent place in our life, and yet you have no business asking them that question because they're going to give you the wrong answer. You have to be very careful who you ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Notice that the jailer didn't just go around asking all of the prisoners. The jailer specifically asked the people who represented the Lord Jesus Christ the question, what must I do to be saved? There are people in your life who may love you and may wish the best for you. But if you were ever to stand before them and say, what must I do to be saved? They may point at you and say, the answer is inside of you. Just follow your heart and everything will be okay in the end. And that person may love you and you may be enjoying being around that person. But I have to say this to you, that answer couldn't be further from what the word of God teaches we must do to be saved. And so you need to be very careful about who you allow to answer that question. If, if you ask that question and somebody says, the answer is within you, the answer is inside of you, you have the ability to save yourself. Be careful because they're not teaching you what the scripture teaches. But uh, on the other hand, there may be some people who aren't pointing at you, but they may be pointing at other people. They may be saying, listen, if you'll vote for that person then they're going to bring salvation to our country and to you. And I say that knowing that we're getting close to election season. And I say that because you have to understand that while it's important for you to look into candidates and, 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 and make sure that the candidate that you're supporting is the person who, who is standing for your values, you have to understand that whether we're talking about the red or the blue candidates, there is not a soul on this planet in either one of those rings that can bring salvation to your soul. And so if you're asking someone... What must I do to be saved? And they're pointing to other people going, vote for that person. Let that person be in charge of your life. You need to be careful. That's not what Paul said. So be careful who you ask. If you're making notes this morning, Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says uh, this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven Given to man by which we must be saved. I got to tell you that this is a great question for you to ask. And if it's bumping around in your heart, awesome. But please be careful who you ask this question to. Make sure that you're asking the right person. Secondly, embrace the simplicity. Ask the right person and embrace the simplicity. I will confess to you, my dear friends, brothers and sisters, friends of the fellowship, I complicate things. Something that's easy, I can make it hard like that. Something that's not a difficult task, I can make it a difficult task like that. And oftentimes we do that with the gospel. What I want you to do this morning is to be refreshed with how simple Paul answers the question, what must I do to be saved? Verse 30 is where he asks the question. 
the jailer brought out Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. Look at the simplicity of this. Verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. So for simplicity's sake this morning, I want to break this one verse into four simple parts. The first is, if you're making notes, just write down the word what. Believe. That's what. Believe in who? Secondly, who? The Lord Jesus Christ. That is about as simple as it gets. That is about as simple as it could possibly be to understand, right? What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Now, I know if you're a note taker and you're circling that word believe, I know that there's like lots of questions about what that means. And here at the fellowship, we spend a lot of time talking about the difference between intellectually believing in the existence of God and the belief that Paul is talking about here, where it's a placing of your trust, it's a placing of your hope, it's a placing of your allegiance in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, next week, we're going to ask and answer the very simple question, what is the gospel? Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is a very simple thing to share. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the what, we have the who, and if you're making notes, would you write down the word the guarantee? This is part of this is perhaps the most awesome part of verse 31. There is a guarantee there. Now you you can think back if you've been here for a long time, I don't often make guarantees to you. But look in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's the guarantee, and you will be saved. You, not might, not perhaps, not eligible for, not enrolled in the lottery and we'll see who gets picked. No, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Paul's testimony, you will be saved. That's an awesome promise. Some of us may be here this morning realizing for the first time, wait, I've made this way more difficult than it has to be. Right. Because we as humans complicate all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be complex. The jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now next week we're going to unpack what does it really mean to believe? Like what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? But I told you I wanted to give you four words here. The, the last word, we've got what, we've got who, we've got the guarantee. And then if you're making notes, would you write down the word hope? This is part of the beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't just for you, your whole household, like everybody in your circle, everybody in your friend circle, everybody in your family circle, everybody on your block. The, the Bible teaches that the promise of salvation isn't just for me. It's for everybody. It's for my household. It's for you. It's for my circle of friends. It's for my circle of acquaintances. I want you to see that in verse 31 with me before we move on. Look at the simplicity of this. What? Believe. Who? In the Lord Jesus Christ. The guarantee. And you will be saved. The hope. You and your whole household. So if you're asking the question this morning, I want to encourage you to ask the right person. And if you're asking the question this morning, what must I do to be saved? 
I want to ask you to embrace the simplicity. It's not hard. And, and I realize that there's been millions of pages written about theology. There's a ton of stuff to learn. But to be saved, it's very simple. We could spend years and years and years reading about doctrine and theology. And all good stuff. I'm a fan. I do it myself. But what must I do to be saved? Very simple. Embrace the simplicity. Third, prepare for action. Now, here's a big conversation that we have in the church. You may have never heard this conversation before. I am privileged to be the one to introduce it to you today. The difference between being saved by works and being saved by grace. Which is it? Do I have to do something to be saved? Do I have to earn my way into salvation? Do I have to earn the grace of God? Do I have to earn the favor of God? No. And and as you write down this morning, prepare for action. I want to be very clear about something. We are not saved by works. We are saved for works. The Lord has saved us so that we can then go into the world and make a difference in the world with our friends with our coworkers, with our family. We're not saved by the things that we do, but we are saved so that we can go into the world and transform and change and bless and minister to the world. I want you to see this in the scripture this morning. I want you to see that the natural outflow of the jailer's belief in the Lord Jesus Christ produced action in him. Can I show that to you this morning? You're going to see it in two places. You're going to see it in serving others, and you're going to see it in obedience to God. And if you would, look with me in verse 33, and you're going to see that the jailer began to take action once he placed his belief in Jesus. It says, and he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds, their service, right? Now, this was a man who was in charge of keeping them in jail. His job, his paycheck, his money and life came from keeping them behind bars. Now they're no longer behind bars. And what's he doing? He's serving them. He's washing their wounds. He's caring for them. He's serving people because his life has just been changed. He's just put his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 33, we also see obedience to God, and he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. So if you're asking this question, you're thinking to yourself, what do I have to do to be saved? I want to share with you these thoughts. First, make sure you're asking the right person. Secondly, make sure that when somebody shares that simple message of the gospel, that you don't overcomplicate it. Embrace the simplicity of the gospel. Thirdly, prepare for action. Fourth, anticipate transformation. I got to tell you as you write that down in your notes, this is the one that catches people off guard. I've had the awesome privilege of seeing uh, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people be at that point in their life where they say, I want to put my belief in Jesus. And it's awesome. And it never gets old. And if you need to put your belief in Jesus today, uh, I invite you to do that. But having watched it happen over and over and over, If there's one of the four things on this list that you've written down this morning that I would say catches people off guard sometimes, it's the transformation that starts to happen. Because all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is at work in us, and we go, whoa, wait a second, what's going on inside of me, right? 
Like all of a sudden I want to serve people when I used to want to take. Used to I want to take and now I want to give. Now all of a sudden my values are beginning to shift and I'm a little uncomfortable. And sometimes we, we take this posture of, hold on a second, God, let's renegotiate this, right? I agreed that you could save me and take me to heaven when I die. But what are you doing in this? Like what's going on inside of me now? We didn't agree to this. Well, you did actually. Uh, oftentimes one of the very dysfunctional expressions of the gospel in today's church culture is this idea that once you can be you can be saved so that when you die you go to heaven but nothing changes in the here and now and what I want you to understand is that that's not a biblical view of Christianity or salvation yielding your life to Jesus has implications in eternity and in the here and now and sometimes we struggle with the here and now transformation because we're unprepared for it or sometimes we struggle with it because we're very comfortable with the way that we were and now all of a sudden the Lord is working in us and we're going wait a second what's going on here and I want you to see that in the scripture I want you to notice that part of the implications of the jailer Believing in the Lord Jesus is that transformation immediately starts to happen. And I want to show you that in three ways. The first is internally. Now, I want you to notice and remember that at the beginning of this story, Paul and Silas are praising God. They're praying. All of a sudden, this earthquake happens, and all of a sudden, the doors come open, and, and the jailer wakes up. What's that? He's been sleeping on the job, right? He wakes up. And he sees that these doors have come open and he's filled with despair. He's filled with hopelessness. And so much so that he's preparing to take his life. When the story starts, we're talking about a jailer who is hopeless. And I want you to look at the last verse that we looked at. I want you to see this transformation that happens in one evening. Look with me, if you would, back in Acts chapter 16. The last verse that we studied, verse 34, he brought them up into his house. He set food before them. And what happened? And he rejoiced. Believing in Christ brings transformation in your life. Internally. But it also transforms what we do. So if you're making notes, it's internal and it's external. If you're making notes. And I want you to see this in the scripture. The Bible says that when, when the jailer believed in Jesus, one of the first things that he started to do was to take care of the wounds of Paul and Silas. We've looked at that a couple of times already. And we don't know this, but we're like 99% sure about this. That the very wounds that the jailer is trying to heal, he probably caused. There weren't a lot of rules guiding how jailers had to treat prisoners. You have to understand in this context. And so on the days that the jailer would come to the work and he was having a bad day, Paul and Silas are probably the ones who paid for it. And so there was... Rampant abuse in the prison system, if that's what you want to call it at that time. And not only did it transform the insides from hopelessness to rejoicing that there was peace with God, 
But it started to change and transform on the outside what the jailer was doing with his life. From creating the wounds to mending the wounds, right? From beating to healing. From oppressing to justice. I don't know that you can embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ without that happening. I just have never read in any place in the gospel where somebody put their belief in Jesus and it didn't produce a real change in their life. Over and over and over in the scripture, true belief in the Lord Jesus Christ always produces transformation. That's a glorious thought. It's a beautiful thought for those of us who long to be who God wants for us to be. So internally, externally, relationally, if you're making notes, anticipate. If you're asking this question and you've written down anticipate transformation, internally, externally, and relationally. Again, these guys were prisoners. And they go from being prisoners and the jailer's own personal punching bag to family. The jailer has them in his house, feeding them, listening to them teach the word of God. I mean, there's no greater uh, expression or example or illustration of the relational transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ than we're looking at this morning. The gospel can take enemies and turn them into family. And so this morning, if you're asking the question, what must I do to be saved? I leave you with those four thoughts. Uh, Ask the right person, embrace simplicity, prepare for action, and anticipate transformation. But what if you're here this morning and you've already asked that question? What if you've already asked it and you've already put your hope and your trust and your allegiance in Jesus and you have, you have put your belief in Christ? Well, then for you, the question isn't, if I'm asking the question, maybe for you, the question is, if I'm answering the question. Isn't it awesome to think that in today's world, There are spiritually hungry people who want to know what it means to follow Christ and experience Christianity, and they're just looking for someone to ask. Just like this jailer wanted to know what he had to do to be saved, I would propose to you that there are people in your life, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, who are spiritually hungry. They may not outright ask it, but they're wondering, what must I do to be saved? And so then the question for us as believers becomes not if I'm asking the question, but if I'm answering it. And if you're prepared to answer it, I want to share with you three thoughts. The first is be missional. If you want to have the opportunity to sit with somebody, maybe at your job or students at your school as you study with your classmates or your neighbors or whoever, If you want eventually somebody to sit with you and say, listen, I've seen a change in your life. I can see that you're committed to to God. And and I just want to know, how do I get what you have? That's asking, what must I do to be saved? If you want people to ask you that question, 
then you need to live missionally. And what I mean by that is that wherever you're at, geographically, but also circumstantially, wherever you're at in your life, you are living for Christ. Think about this with me for a moment. Paul and Silas were locked in a dark jail cell because they had cast a demon out of a young person. They would have been treated unjustly. They had been oppressed. They had been mistreated. And yet at midnight, they were praising the Lord. They were praying. They were living missionally. Wherever they were, they were living for Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? I mean, I know that it's easy for us to praise the Lord when the worship team plays our favorite song at our favorite volume. It's easy to praise the Lord then. But what about sitting in a jail in the dark, handcuffed to someone else? They were missional in their living. Wherever they were and whatever was going on, they were going to live for Christ. Students, do you want to lead your friends to Christ? Then be missional even when nobody's watching. Do you hope that you get to answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Then live missional on Friday nights and Saturday nights with your friends. Be missional. Not only be missional, but secondly, be sacrificial. And, and I want you to see in the scripture this morning, not only Paul and Silas's determination to live missionally, but I want you to see sacrificial living by Paul and Silas. And I guess I, the best way to get to this is to just use you as a little, as a little admission board. I admit to you, that if I had been in jail at midnight, I don't know what I would have been doing. I hope that I would have been doing what Paul and Silas were doing, praising the Lord and praying. But whoever I was handcuffed to, I might have been thinking to myself, listen, when I get out of here, the lawsuit I'm going to file on this place, you just cannot believe it. Or I might say something like, well, that jailer hits me because I got these handcuffs on. Let me out of these handcuffs and let's see what happens, right? Or I may be so bitter at the mistreatment, I might even like laugh to my counterpart and say, well, he, he can do whatever he wants now because when he dies, he is going straight to hell. But that was not their perspective. So much so that when the doors came open, they stayed. I can see the conflict Pastor Zach would have if this happened to me. Here I am praying and praising God, right? Just blessing the Lord, oh my soul. And all of a sudden the ground shook and the doors opened and the handcuffs came off. 
Thank you, Lord, for this blessing. I am on my way out of here. I'd be singing that, what is that? And I walked out of that grave. I'd be gone on the way to the port to get my ticket on the boat to go to whatever is the next town. They stayed. That is sacrificial living. Giving up something to give ministry to people who may not even deserve it. Do you see that? Sacrificial living. I make jokes about it. I, I don't know what, I, what would go through my brain. But you know what Paul and Silas did? When those doors came open, they stayed. And you know what's even more mind-blowing for me about this? We have the full text. We could start at the end and understand what happens before we read the beginning. That was not true for Paul. He had no idea what was going to happen. He didn't know the jailer was going to get saved. He didn't know he was going to bandage his wounds. He didn't know he was going to get dinner that night at the jailer's house. He just knew, I am staying in place so that I can be used by God. He had no idea what the end result was going to be. He just knew what it meant to live missionally and live sacrificially. And I'll tell you this. I don't know what that looks like for you. Chances are this is not your context. Chances are you're not going to find yourself in jail next week for some unjust reason. Chances are. But what does missional living look like for you? What does sacrificial living look like for you? What does it mean for you to give up something that perhaps you deserve for the sake of someone else who may not deserve anything and quite frankly may have been creating problems for you up until this moment? If you want to answer the question, what must I do to be saved? Then I put before you these two ideas. We need to live missionally, and we need to live sacrificially, and last, we need to live audibly. You know what's interesting about this story? In this text, you never go too far in the reading until you hear, hear, excuse me, hear the Apostle Paul speaking the name of Jesus. He's sitting in jail at midnight and he's calling on the name of Jesus. All of a sudden the doors are open and he can run and he stays. And here's the jailer, hopeless. And you hear him. You hear the Apostle Paul's voice again. Wait! Don't do that. We're still here. He's speaking a word of hope to someone who has no hope. He's speaking a word of pause to somebody who's about to do something radical. Because of a temporary problem. Paul's faith was an audible faith. What must I do to be saved? Paul is ready to answer the question. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole household. The Bible says in verse 32 that even after he answered the question, he hung around and he taught him all kinds of stuff. Look in verse 32, if you would. I want you to see this. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He just started teaching them stuff. He started discipling them. He preached the gospel to him. He accepted the gospel. So he just started talking to them about, here's what it means to follow Jesus. And here's the struggles that you're going to have. And here's how you do it. And this is what this verse means. And he just started talking to them about the word of the Lord. Paul's faith was an audible faith. From a a, a dark jail cell just praising the Lord to speaking a word of hope to somebody who has no hope to sharing the gospel to discipling people. If you want to answer the question to your friend or to your family member about what must I do to be saved, you have to be audible. And so just as I said to those who are asking the question, ask the right person. Embrace the simplicity. Prepare for action anticipate transformation, then I say to the brothers and sisters who are here this morning, those in the faith, that if you want to answer that question and answer it well so that the kingdom of God in the here and now would be different and eternity would be different because you've ministered to someone, then I say to you, live missionally, live sacrificially, and live audibly. The world around you needs that type of believer. To the young people, I say that your friends need that type of believer, an audible follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, as we close our time this morning, we thank you for the power of the Word of God, for the way that it both like encourages us and confronts us at the same time for the way that it inspires us and it illuminates areas of our life that we really need to grow in our faithfulness and and in our walk with you. We also bring to you, Lord, a confession that we know we did not exhaust everything that there is to say about these nine verses. There's so much here, Lord. Thank you for the gift and the space that you've given us this morning to ponder and to think about the question, what must I do to be saved? I pray for my friends that might be here this morning whose reality is that this isn't an old dusty question. It's a question that's seared into their heart and mind right now and they're desperately looking for an answer. I pray that this morning they would embrace the simplicity and just put their faith in you. That they would believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Lord, for those of us who are your disciples, we certainly see Paul and Silas and their missional, sacrificial, audible life. We're inspired by it. We're instructed by it. It helps us, Lord, to consider our own life and how to move forward with great boldness for your name's sake. I pray, Lord, that this week, all over this region, the question would be being asked and answered because of what you did in our hearts today. The question of what 
must I do to be saved? Thank you, Lord, for this incredible gift that you've given us this morning of gathering in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.